This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this week I sit down with Amanda Glass to discuss the inspiration behind her children's book, That's What Dads Are Made For. You may be thinking it came from a place of intimate connection with her dad, but it actually came out of a relationship where she didn't feel fully known by her father. It wasn't until she had children of her own and her dad passed away that her eyes were opened to his present hand throughout her life. Today we discuss some of her journey, her hope for That's What Dads Are Made For book, and how Philippians 4.8 played into her journey. Before we begin this week's episode, I would like to introduce you to one of this week's sponsors, Dwell Differently. Do you want to memorize scripture? Me too, but I struggled with daily practice until I discovered Dwell Differently. Dwell helps you memorize one verse each month by taking the first letter of every word in a verse, stringing them together in a cool design, and providing the design as a temporary tattoo, on a key tag, and a 4x5 card. How awesome is that? Everywhere you go, you're reminded of the verse you're memorizing. Each month, you get a kit in the mail. Members also get a digital kit with screensavers and downloadable coloring sheets. The best part is that people are always asking you what your tattoo means. It's an easy way to share your faith. And the verses can be memorized alone, with friends, and with family of all ages. That's what I love memorizing the monthly verse with my children. Find them at dwelldifferently.com, at dwelldifferently on Instagram and Facebook, or take a listen to their podcast by searching for Dwell Differently on your favorite podcast player. Good morning, Amanda. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning, Amber. I'm so happy to be here. It's nice to have someone that, even though we don't really know each other, I feel like we kind of know each other because we have definitely, um, gosh, has it been a year now that we've been together in the Instagram world? Maybe, maybe. Time flies <laughs> by. Maybe so. I think well, and so. it's like what I always say with 2020, that was like a time warp, even though it felt like it lasted 10 years. Like I don't have any marker Mm-hmm. for the years, which you do because you've had some, definitely some illness go on in your family. Oh yeah, we did. And we had, and I published this book that we're about to talk about during that time. So I have it, I had 2020 broken into different parts because of that publishing journey. But I think that maybe you and I met, I would say late summer, early fall, something like that last okay. year. So we are See, getting that- close. Yeah, we're getting close. It feels so much longer for me than that. (laughs) Yeah. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do. Okay. Well, um, I grew up the youngest of three daughters, and I grew up in West Virginia in a real small town. Um, It has, I think, 2,000-ish people in the town. And so uh, I met my husband in first grade, and we were high school sweethearts, and we married after college. 
we graduated college and like the next week we got married. So we, we married at 21 and we are about to celebrate our 21st wedding anniversary soon next month. So that's awesome. You can do the math and figure out how old we are here. (laughs) (laughs) And we have three children, two boys and one girl and their ages are 16, 10 and eight. And, um, learning how to parent them and with God at the heart of our home has been such a journey, a fun one. And uh, it's been so um, better than I ever imagined. I always wanted to be a mother, but this has been even better than I expected. Mm. Um, I graduated with a master's in education and human development and didn't really know what I was going to do and prayed just hoped that God would lead and direct. And he did. And I settled into the area of behavior analysis and autism spectrum. And within that work, I fell in love with the idea of quality of life and how important communication is and family dynamics and educational environments and how that plays a role in behaviors and the um, experience that teachers and kids in the classroom have within that, um, that environment and, um, also peer relationships and friendships and how important that is. And so I loved making tools and getting in there and understanding what might be the root of some of the issues that the students and their families or their uh, teachers were experiencing. And, and the best part was when all we would do maybe is make a, a slight change, like, connect them with another student so that they can make a friendship and to see how behaviors would change and how communication would change. And so um, that was so much fun. And it really helped me become a parent. I did that work before I became a parent. And so I think a lot of the things I learned during that time have helped me be more settled and calm as a mom. Mm. I grew up in a family rooted in love, but it was heavy on rules and behavior. And so when I was working and getting that experience, my eyes were open to, oh, behaviors just aren't good and bad. Behaviors communicate to us ways mm-hmm. that kids might be feeling, tension that might exist. And so when we would help students or even the adults communicate really what, the pro- what their issue was or the tension was, the behaviors would change. And so it really helped me understand that how important communication is and understanding mm-hmm. Um, kids and and their and the adults. So many times it was a fear that the the adult had, and it would just come out in a way you wouldn't expect. And so once we got to the root of things, it was amazing to see how joy would return and and kids would flourish in those experiences. And so it was different than how I was raised. It was very authoritative, and that's how I was. And then when I was forced to really look at behaviors and communication, it, it really helped me to have a different idea about mm. what the role of behavior really is or the function of behavior is how we would say it. So now I am dusting the rust off and getting back into work. I stopped working when I was pregnant with my second. And so that was almost a decade ago. And yeah, I'm remembering you girl. Me yeah. too. Yeah. And so I'm remembering all those lessons that I learned and how I've applied them as a parent myself. And what we're about to talk about is how I applied it to my life as a daughter and Mm -hmm. with my own dad. And so, um, and so, yeah, it's been fun to create this book and to, uh, to, to hear feedback from families who are seeing change in their lives because of it. 
Well, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And you said you grew up in a family where it was very much based in love, but it was rules oriented. I'd like to say I'm not guilty of that in my Mm -hmm. own family, but I am. Um, And so tell me a little bit more about what it was like growing up for you, family dynamics, um, religion, all of the things that come along with family life. And then tell me too. So what part of West Virginia did you grow up in? Because I grew up in Kentucky in the eastern part. So I know a lot about West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the most northern city in that northern panhandle. Yep. So nowhere near me. (laughs) No, but I had a lot of family. I had a a lot of family kind of further down. We would, we would travel down for a union. So I might know a little bit about Kentucky from, from them. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, Huntington, West Virginia, those kinds of places are uh, definitely, I mean, we traveled to regularly because it was one of the closest quote unquote big cities, you know? Yes. Right. Yes. And that's actually where I had my, um, my longest job was at Marshall University there in Huntington. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I had a lot of friends who went to school there. Yes. So. What are dads made for? Hmm. I've been asking myself the same question. Author Amanda Glass, creator of the Made For book series, helps kids and dads answer that question. That's what dads are made for is more than just a fun book with cute pictures. It's one that creates conversations that build meaningful connections. This Father's Day, help your kids connect with dad as they discover together. Oh, that's what dads are made for. For kids three and up, just $9.99 when you order now at themadeforbooks.com. All right. So tell me a little bit about just family life. What was it like growing up for you? Give us a few more details of that. I mean, you had sisters. That's yeah. a fun, interesting dynamic. Oh, yeah. I was the youngest of three and my sisters were seven and eight years older than me and they, they still are. Um, so a <laughs> lot of my memories involve um, attending their activities, you know, um, going to their sporting events. If, if my sister played sports and oh, they would both take me on their dates. I would. That's awesome. I know. I look back now and I'm like, wow, they really were good to me. They took me to a lot of movies and uh, trips to the mall and fun things like that. And so I spent a lot of time with my sisters. I went to church with my mom and my sisters. My mom was the spiritual leader of the house and my dad did not become a Christian until I was in uh, middle school. So it was a lot of, you know, mom, sister time when we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We spent a lot of time at church and church activities. So outside of church, I really didn't have a whole lot of activities that I personally was involved in. I sort of spent most of my time at church with my family, with uh, my sisters and uh, my dad. He lost his job. There was a recession in the area and a lot of steel mills closed down. And so he struggled Mm -hmm. to find work. And so he worked multiple jobs to keep our family afloat. And he was a hard worker. We all lived in the same house, but you know, I, he worked a lot of different shifts and he was tired when he came home. And so I didn't really spend a whole lot of time uh, with him. And he wasn't the type of dad who was, um, we didn't talk about, we didn't have heart to heart conversations. He didn't ask me details about my day. It was, we had small moments of connection, but we didn't have that deep sense of connection that I was longing for. So we had a lot of activities, like I said, that um, revolved around the church. And then when my dad became a Christian later, our family dynamic changed quite a bit. And he was a part of that experience. And then they became friends with other families together. And so it became more of a together uh, type of experience than it was 
you know, separate with my dad. You know, but your home. sisters were out of the house at that point, I'm assuming. Well, my oldest sister did leave the house at 18, but my, uh, the next sister in line, she did not leave until right before I got married. So we were together gotcha. still. Yeah. Running to the right. mall and having fun together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then when did you come to know Jesus? I was very young and I think that I was probably four, four or five, really young. My mom was beside my bed at night. I remember these books that she would read us. It was like um, little stories with some questions at the end. We would talk about different things and she led me to the Lord and it totally made sense. It was like, Jesus has made a way to make up for what we can't do on our, on our own. I couldn't do it, you know, couldn't make up for mistakes and I wasn't perfect. And this thing just made sense. And I was in, I was in at a young age, said yes. And it, the childlike faith, I guess, just took over and um, it was an easy decision for me. And you walked with him from then on out. Yeah, I did. I, I remember I didn't have many friends at school, actually none who went to church. I went to church in a neighboring state. So all the kids that I knew there went to their own school. I would come back and I didn't know anyone like me. I didn't know anyone who, when they had a a bad day, went to Jesus. I didn't know anyone who had a good day and thanked Jesus. I don't remember having that connection until I got older and I went to college. Yeah. So it was a, a lot of me and Jesus really whenever I was growing up, I remember, I I just remember praying and trusting him for answers. And things weren't easy growing up. As I said, my dad lost his job. There were a lot of financial hardships. Things were stressful in our house, but Jesus was always there. It wasn't until I was older with my own, I had had um, my son and I started having experiences with health problems and lots of questions, didn't have answers that I truly learned that I guess my childlike faith had to mature into a real relationship where I could ask tough questions and just let, trust that God, you know, understood and can handle them. Right. And wants to hear from us. Yeah. Well, and so you said that you, you know, really struggled with your dad in the sense of you wanted that quality time with him. And so what were some of the things when you were younger or once you began to realize like, I wish my dad was this way, but he's actually this way. You know, when you're younger and you're, um, you're just sort of going with the family environment you're in. It's not like you question, you sort of just go with the flow and it just is what it is. And you learn to navigate that. But I remember feeling that I didn't connect with him in a way that he knew me. I didn't feel known by him and I didn't have those words to say. But I definitely had an attitude towards him. It was just a bit of a wall that I had built up with him that this is what my dad does. He financially supports us. He's a good man. He's funny. He was was a, a very funny guy. But that I knew him, I felt like, but he didn't really know me. And so that started young. I mean, I was probably six or seven at that point. And I don't remember exact moments. But I do remember a feeling of, I wish that he would ask me questions, or I wish that he would hug me, or why isn't he more affectionate towards me? But he wasn't like that with my sisters either. So it was just... What about with your mom? Um, 
They were not very affectionate. They would tell jokes with each other. They would laugh, but it wasn't yeah. really affectionate. No. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just like, I don't remember those things in my family either. Um, now I had a great relationship with my dad and I remember lots of affection from him, but yeah. it's interesting, you know, when you think through like the relationship with your parents or your own relationship with your spouse and how your kids might see it. I find that stuff like fascinating yes. and a little bit terrifying at the same time. <laughs> so, yes, that's right. Because I mean, we're all going to wound our kids, right? Oh. And so I even find myself thinking there's good and bad, no matter what family you're raised yes. in. And it's such a hard, yeah, it, it's just yeah. hard when and, you become a parent. And exactly the same thing. It's, you know, like I said, I have two sisters. They might not have felt the same way I did either. That's and exactly so right. each child is so different. And we don't know how we're wounding our children or how we're not, unless we have some conversations with them and figure, figure yeah. it out, you know? So the feelings I had, my older sisters don't mention, you know, having those same feelings. I was more sensitive yeah. maybe, and I was just more emotional than they are. And so their needs were met in a different way than mine you know, were. Well, that's the thing. Once you had children of your own mm -hmm. and your father passed away, and it sounds like it also just has so much to do with the, you know, postgraduate work that you did, you began to see that your father, he wasn't an overly emotional guy, but he did show you love in simple everyday moments. And so kind of tell us a little bit about that discovery process. My dad and I, as I got older, I could see my dad differently. He wasn't the only one that could supply my needs at that point, right? I had a husband, I had other friendships, I was out on my own. And so I guess the pressure for him kind of was lessened during when I started becoming an adult, right? I remember noticing that, he, you know, he would, let's say, put gas in my car whenever I would go home for a visit. Or yeah. I started noticing things like that as I got older. And then when I had kids of my own, I started seeing him differently. He was the same kind of dad I had, but I could see the joy in it because he, they, my kids, it, it was fun to watch them just enjoy it. He added to their life. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that and I thought, and then I started to have more compassion because, you know, as we, our parents ourselves, we know how it can be so tiring. It, mm -hmm. You know, working outside of the home and having multiple jobs is so stressful. Mm -hmm. Financial difficulty is, is hard. And so I started to have compassion on him as a person, but I'm not going to say that things were still perfect. I still wished at that point that we had more of a relationship where we could talk. There were some stressful events that happened in our family where my dad and I had to have some moments where we had conversations, which wasn't normal for us. And so that was the beginning of some things. And then I remember hearing on the radio something about a, a teacher was talking about how she had a difficult relationship with her dad, but she sent him a card on Father's Day that said, you are a great dad. Her dad had passed away. And she just mm -hmm. encouraged the listener, no matter what relationship you had with your dad, is there anything positive you can think of? And can you, it's a gift not only for him, but it is for yourself. And so his birthday was coming up. It was kind of difficult to write those words because, you know, I still was wounded, but I wrote the words, you are a great dad. I passed it off. He said nothing about it. It could have been a good gift to him. I don't know. He didn't mention anything about it, but I know it was a gift to me that somehow I was growing in peace towards him and I was forgiving him for places where um, I guess I was disappointed and I was accepting him for who he was. And then he got ill. I helped take him to some appointments. We had some nice time, you know, in the car 
together in those times. And then he passed away. And when he passed away, I felt a grief that was surprising. I didn't, I mean, I, I hadn't lost a parent before. So of course, I wouldn't have known what to expect. But it just was bigger than I thought the waves would come. And I would just feel like, Oh, my goodness, what is this? And then they would they would go and I'd feel like, Oh, you know, they're gone. And then they would come back. And I remember googling, you know, how long are the stages of grief? Like, I just wanted to know, right? I wanted, oh, you know, girl. some bearing. And so um, that it did go it did get better and easier over time. But when those waves came back, it was happening for you know two years. My family and I took a trip to Florida, and we were there for um, a few months. And uh, I was practicing writing, and my husband was thinking about what he might do with his work and employment. And one day, I wrote about my dad, and it was his birthday. And I was watching the waves come in and the waves go out, and I was writing about the grief I was experiencing. And it was in that moment that all these memories that were small they came back to me. You know, times we would play on 500 Remy on the floor in the living room, or times that he would fill my gas tank up with gas, or times he would tuck me in when I was watching TV. All these little things came in and filled that hole in my heart. And it was an overwhelming moment where I thought, we were connected. I spent an entire lifetime thinking that we weren't connected or that our relationship wasn't it didn't meet my expectations. And all of a sudden, it was like this piece that I got that, okay, he did show me that we he cared for me and he loved me in these ways. And that's good enough. And I can anchor yeah. myself in those positive moments. And so uh, that was what started this book process for me is that yeah. if I could help my own kids or other families to understand that tension is normal, within any family dynamic. There isn't a father-child relationship that doesn't experience tension. It's, it's not even possible, right? And so sometimes it can just be relieved with a simple conversation. How my life could have been different had my dad known or had a tool that could have helped him to just say, hey, Amanda, what's, what's important to you about our relationship? Mm. Uh, would you like me to know anything about you? I don't know. You know, tell me something you know, what, what are the names of your friends? Or what would you like? How would you like to spend time with me? Just it's simple conversations to help me feel known, which helps you feel loved, which makes the relationship less tense. And you just have a, a much more stronger foundation for life mm. growing up when you know that you are known and loved by your parent. And so that's what started this book. And it's exciting to hear when people share what their experience is with it, that these simple ideas of just talking to your child, asking them some questions, and that can relieve a lot of the tension that exists in yeah. a relationship. Well, and that's the thing. The name of the book is That's What Dads Are Made For. And it is a children's book, but I love that you say, you know, just asking a couple of questions. I mean, it's important for moms and for dads. And I know that you would, would like to create, you know, books addressing all types of relationships. And so when you think about this book in particular, um, and you've kind of already said it, but what did you really hope for? Like what, you know, you wrote these things down and I was listening to you speak and just thinking, okay, I have a great connection with my dad. So I can't say, you know, the same things that you say, but I can say that 
on the flip side in the sense of, um, I don't have a great relationship with my mom. And so it does give you compassion to just think, you know, everybody's a person Mm -hmm. and they're trying to do the best they can do with what they've got. Mm -hmm. And so in this book, what was your hope? Everyone is on their own journey, right? Everyone's learning how to get through life, how to make ends meet, how to uh, connect with their friends and their family. Everyone's on their own journey. And so um, what I was hoping is that parents could come to this book without feeling guilt or shame for anything that might not be perfect in their parenting and to to understand that this is normal. Tension is normal and everyone's on their own journey and we are all just trying our best to move forward, right? And then also that kids could come to this book and see themselves in it. And by that, I mean, watching the the, the child's journey uh, in the story, the little girl's journey, is, is she compares her dad to other people. And I think that's, that's just the way of life. Mm-hmm. That's just something we do. It's very we normal. We look around, very normal. And we look around and we say, oh, we're different here. We're alike here. I like this. You know, I don't like this. And we, and we look around and we try to make sense of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. by comparing. And so in the book, the little girl, she compares to everyone. And then she decides to make a list of the way that her dad makes her feel special. And that's one of my favorite lines in the book is she says, this helps me feel cozy and these questions I can settle. So our kids have questions. They just do. They're trying to figure out the environment in our house, the rules of the world, what's going on around them. So the character does that. And then she sees these small moments that her dad is connected to her. And so I wanted kids to just be able to identify and celebrate the relationship they have with their dad. And I tried to make it so that there's one example where he just says hi to her at the door, because I had, I was trying to make it as um, applicable to as many kids as I can. So sometimes kids might just see their dad at the door and he says hi to them. And that's something that they can anchor themselves in and celebrate. And then I went as far as to include words that I didn't experience myself, but I wanted to give dad an example in some, in some language to use where um, she says, you know, we were sitting on a blanket at night, things felt right. He told me that I'm important to him. And I wanted to give those words to dad so that they might be able to have some if that's not, if that doesn't come easy to them. That's right. And so I tried to make it as applicable as I could to as many different types of families as I could. And my hope was that families could see themselves in the book. And that's the best compliment that I can receive. I've heard from a few kids that have said to their parents, this is me. Oh, I think that's me in the book. Or that's dad. Or, and those are the most, um, things that I just find the most joyful is that they can identify and it's actually resonating with them and it's making a difference, you know, in their lives. And and at the end, there's a place where there are questions and prompts to start the conversation going. And they're just simple questions that um, don't require, you know, a lot of prep. You don't have to have a master's in education to ask you questions. You can just ask a few things and listen and move on together. Yeah. So I I wanted to make it as simple as I could uh, for kids and families to connect with each other. Well, and I love it because I do feel like the questions in the book, I mean, they're really ones that even as your kids get older, you, you ask as well. I mean, I know one of the hardest and most humbling questions that I'll ask my kids is how can I love you better? 
And sometimes you get an answer that can be a little bit heartbreaking, but I also am like, okay, this is something that I'm not doing well. So I can't do yeah. better, you know, unless you ask. Yeah. And dads right. sometimes really need just the language, I think, because they're not most of, I don't want to, I'm not saying everyone, but in general, yeah, yeah. I don't think that dads are not as much of a verbal processors as women are. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, I don't think so either. I think that sometimes it's easier. And I know even for myself, when I have words to use, or if I'm given recipe to follow, um, it's a lot easier to have success, right? That's right. And so, um, and so I tried to make it uh, as simple as I could. And you're right, these questions, you can ask your friend, you can ask your, you know, and I've heard some people, which this, this really moves me is when adults have purchased the book, they filled it out, and they've written in the margins, their special moments that they share with their dad, and they've given it to their dad um, as a gift. And um, those I just it's just amazing that uh, something as simple as a children's book can create connection like this. And so um, it's just a good lesson to learn. And you know, for me, this book was healing, not only for me and, and my dad, who, you know, isn't with me here, I can't, I can't have a conversation with him. But it has helped me move forward and heal my relationship with him uh, in a way that I wouldn't have been able to move forward. You know, I felt stuck for a long time. Yeah. And, and to be able to move forward in something is such a gift. It brings joy and you feel alive. You know, you're moving forward and you're seeing progress being made and change happen. And so um, I just uh, have appreciated the journey that the book has put me on and it's helped me with other relationships. You know, when I get frustrated with someone in my life, I think, okay, what do I do here? That's right. I have to refocus, find some things I can, you know, celebrate about them and ground myself in that. And if I have to have a conversation with them, that's fine. Or can I just let it go? Can I just, you know, anchor myself in the good and the positive and the honorable and the trustworthy all from Philippians 4, 8. That's what the book was based on, you know, think on, think on these things. And so can I, and so it's helped me in other relationships too. It's, It's amazing how this, the principles of this have helped me, um, move forward in life, really. Well, mm-hmm. and I love that you say that it's based on Philippians 4, 8, because that's a verse that I've often used when it comes to practicing gratitude, because actually mm-hmm. as believers, you know, we have a very specific list of things we're supposed to think on, but it is amazing how many people you come across, including myself at one point that really couldn't identify things in the world that were lovely, particularly when Mm -hmm. it came to people, you know, like what's lovely about that person. And so when you Mm -hmm. begin looking for all of those characteristics in people, it does do something to your mindset for sure. And so that's an excellent perspective. Yeah, it really does. It changes, it changes your outlook on relationships, on situations on your day-to-day life, um, when you're starting the day off and when you practice this, like you have, it's like, it becomes a habit. And I'll, I'll hear people say things to me like, um, wow, you know, you're just a positive person. And inside, I know how hard it has been to change my mindset from looking at the negative to finding things that are praiseworthy and mm-hmm. thinking on those things. Um, and so it's just a um, testament to the power of God and mm-hmm. his work in your life. Yeah. This, these words are living and they, they are active and they 
still are changing hearts and minds today. And something as simple as what you're saying, starting off or thinking of things and being grateful for the good in life can change your life. It really can. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, and I don't want to discourage anyone listening that that means you don't need to have hard conversations. I just think that sometimes if we do identify these things in people, it can actually make the hard conversation much more pure and um, coming from a place of true Mm -hmm. desire versus sometimes I think we can look at our family. I'm speaking to myself here and I see the worst things about them. It's very hard Mm -hmm. for me to see the good things about them because they're making me crazy. (laughs) And look through that Philippians four, eight lens, then maybe I can realize, okay, I, like you said, I don't need to go to them because this is just as much a heart problem for me as it is on their behalf. Or I can go to them now and speak to them from a place of honesty, you know, and purity versus, you know, like I'm ready to just condemn you and criticize you constantly. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is just, it helps me be more human because I understand that I have flaws too. That's right. And that someone out there is trying to do the same thing with me. Right. And so like, but I realized, okay, they are, these are the strengths they have. Yes. They're driving me crazy on this way, but you know, I'm not perfect either. And it just brings some humility to the conversation when you come in knowing that um, you're not perfect. No one's perfect. right. Right. And that we're all just, we're all just trying to move forward together. Yeah. Well, as we start to close out here, let's say, um, a woman is listening who maybe really does have a difficult relationship with her father currently or in the past um, mm-hmm. or very similar to you. She, she's like, my dad's always been fine. I just don't feel super close to him. What encouragement uh, would you leave her with? Well, I would tell her, you know, I, I understand. And I, I see the struggle that it is to, to feel disconnected from a parent, especially a dad. We know dads are important to kids. Dads are important to daughters and sons. I, I understand what that feels like and what kind of a hole that leaves in your heart as you move forward. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will become a rebel and go, you know, thrill seeking or, you know, re, you know, rebel, carry daddy issues That's with right. you, you know, your whole life. But it does mean that there's just this a part of you that is wounded. And um, I understand that. I see that. And I know how hard it can be to move forward in love uh, when you don't have words for the tension that you might feel, especially when you're a child. And I would give that woman hope that moving forward in forgiveness is possible through Christ. He can take our feelings. He's big enough to take all of them. We can pour them out to him and we can ask him to guide us and to help direct us um, and move forward in healing. And, you know, being honest with God, even, and, you know, sometimes that's difficult when you are trying to have a relationship with God as a father and you didn't necessarily feel known and loved by your earthly father. Yeah. Right. But I would just say that he is there. Learn about God in the Bible. Yeah. Believe what it says about him and how much he loves us. Yeah. And, and get to know him as father and, and connect with him. And that's going to help you see your dad differently. You're going to see him with more love, more compassion. And when you make steps moving forward to him, you, your heart will change. We don't know how your dad will change or if he will, but your heart will change. And that brings joy and brings life, brings flourishing to your family. And, you know, sometimes flourishing takes risk. 
And we have to do risky things. And that might be to start a conversation or to write that letter to him or to put in dad, you are a great dad, even when it's hard to write those words. Mm -hmm. But I would just say tension is normal. What you're feeling is normal. And communication is a gift that God has given us. And we can use that. We can engage in conversations. And that creates a new future for us. And I would just encourage them to think on Philippians 4, 8 and and just pray over that and trust that God will come in and change their hearts. Because, you know, I can say as many words as I can think of, but it's God really who does that work within our our hearts and our lives and our families. And, you know, my story is not the only one. The story is of everyone who has imperfect relationships and who wants to feel known and loved by others and how um, having conversations helps us practice. And so when we're doing that with our kids um, as moms, we're helping set them up. We're contributing to the world because we're helping them practice that skill of communication that God has given us. And they can learn to be compassionate and they can learn to be considerate and they can learn to express themselves. And all these things are um, changing, not only to our lives, but to those around us, to our communities, to the world. That's right. It can change generations for sure. And then they should pick up the book, What Dads Are Made For. And so where can people find the book and find you? Yes, that's what dads are made for can be found on uh, my website, themadeforbooks.com. It can also be found on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. And I'm also on social, Instagram, Facebook as Amanda B. Glass or The Made For Books. Yeah. And so I'll make sure that I put those on the website in the show notes so people can find those easily as well. And so Amanda, thank you so much for coming on, um, sharing your experience. And um, I look forward to the impact that the book continues to make. I have a feeling many of you resonate with what Amanda shared today. Maybe it's not with your dad, but it's your mom, your adult child, or someone else close to you. I encourage you to read Philippians 4.8 and try to write down something about that person in every category. Then when you're on Instagram or Facebook, send me a direct message at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber, letting me know how that practice impacted you. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu/hdl.